This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Hohokam, and Yucateco Maya people, and we wish to pay our respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Konnichi, what's up, cousins? Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your sir auntie, Charmaine Fury, aka double Asian blurred and this is episode 217 now I'm trying to talk in this smooth melodic monotone right now because my throat is kind of scratchy because I've been recording all morning because I've been dodging construction work behind my house and it's been infuriating so the fury side of Charmaine is out and I'm trying to not make that obvious on this episode Uh, But I'm running out of time. I need to record this fucking intro. So I'm going to deal with the fact that there's construction work sounds, which luckily my badass microphone is not picking up as much on, which is dope because it's like hammering and banging. And I thought it was picking it up. So I kept stopping and starting and stopping and starting. I finally started to listen to what I was recording and I wasn't picking up on it. So I'm just going to record it flat out now. Even if there's construction sounds making me crazy in the background, I do suffer from misophonia, which is a audio sensitivity issue. It triggers a part of your brain that kind of makes you behave a little out of pocket because it increases stress and anxiety. And um, for me, misophonic issues are come from mouth sounds, electricity sounds. So like if you're standing near an electricity pole, And there was like a wah, 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 wah. Not everybody can hear it, but I'm one of the people who can hear it. And it drives me crazy. It makes my teeth hurt. Uh, Metallic-y sounds, like the sound of two pieces of metal touching each other and stuff like that, also triggers my misophonia. Or a sound I can't control or stop, like a screeching, a child, (laughs) a, a fire alarm, things like that. It makes me crazy. Hammering and And power tools are one of those things if I'm not the one doing it because that's a sound I can control. (sighs) So I'm going to keep taking deep breaths. I'm going to try to talk monotone. I'm going to try to get through this really good intro for this really good episode without going full Charmaine Fury on that ass. Okay, here we go. (laughs) My guest today is Nina, a self-described Afropean from Slovakia. Uh, she's actually the person who exposed me to the term Afropean a couple years ago when I was working on an art project converting the existing Militantly Mixed logo into an art piece using the hybrid terms that we use to identify ourselves, like in my case, Black Ghanese or Blasian, which is a more general understanding of a Black Asian. Um, and I was asking people, send me your hybrid terms that you use to describe yourself, and I'll include it in the art piece. Now, this is one of those forever living art pieces because as I learn more terms I'm going to be adding them to the art and then eventually one day my goal is to actually 
paint this on a large canvas versus the digital version that I've had created for me. Uh, paint this on a large canvas that I can have in my studio space. Um, I'm a long way from that, but it's the goal. Maybe I'll paint it small. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, and so, yeah, Nina was the person who exposed me to the term Afropean. And more specifically, in a continuing conversation, to sort of the experience that an African-European person may have, where their Europeanness gets erased just on the sole basis of their skin color, as if being born in Europe isn't sufficient enough to be considered European. Uh, we get into that on this episode, of course. Uh, we also talk about her experiences building affinity groups in mixed spaces when she has moved around um, to the UK and to other parts of Europe. Uh, so while it might be more broadly for mixed people, I think maybe more specifically for mixed Europeans um, because of this shared experience that they may have, is a good opportunity to build affinity groups when you move because it helps you get grounded in your new place quicker. It also creates friendships and society and things like that that you kind of need to thrive. Um, the version of that I'm experiencing here in Mexico is being a part of a, well, there's the broader group, which is a, a black expat group here in Medida, um, but the subgroup, which is a group I'm participating in more often, is the black queer group here in Medida, Mexico, and these are the way I'm actually starting to make friends and build community here in Mexico. I can't seem to find an Asian equivalent to that, but I did hear Japanese for the first time since coming to Mexico when I went to the Santa Barbara Cenotes last week. Uh, there were some people speaking Japanese behind me, and just so that I could feel a little bit connected, I warned them to be careful as they walked down the stairs, even though they did not need my warning for it. But I just wanted to be able to say something in Japanese to somebody. Um, they ended up ignoring me and then later on laughing about me speaking Japanese to them later, but <laughs> whatever, it's fine. <laughs> it was both validating and invalidating at the same time. Acknowledging that I spoke Japanese and laughing at me for doing it. <laughs> so it's whatever. Okay, fine. Okay, moving on. This is a whole damn mess. It's fine. It's fine. Before we get into today's episode, though, I do want to highlight something that I did last week, which was on Friday, the 21st of July. Uh, that was when myself and Ria Mayakur from the Mixed Race Mama podcast got together in our first collaboration as Matcha and Masala, Blended Besties, Spilling the Tea. Ever since Rhea has been a guest of Militantly Mixed, we have been talking offline about finding some kind of project we could work on together. And in both serious conversation and in joking conversation, we got ourselves into this thing where we were going to call ourselves matcha and masala. We were going to spill the tea on all types of things, mixedness, stuff around the world, political things, nerdy shit, like all the kinds of things that we could be interested in under the sun that we would get together to share our perspectives as mixed people who are from the U.S. and the U.K., um, people who have a lot in common because while I was born in the U.S. and she was born in the U.K., we both share Welsh heritage. She was actually born in Wales. She currently lives in London. I was born in the U.S., but I was raised with a British grandmother, so I have access to Britishness, British values, and things like that were definitely implanted when I was growing up. And so we have sort of a shorthand communication between us, which is probably easier than your average U.K. citizen and your average American citizen trying to relate over things. We also just have a lot in common as British people, we both drink tea very heavily, but as me as a Japanese and her as a Punjabi Indian person, we both drink a lot of tea within those cultures. 
T has a very significant thing in our lives and different times of day are dedicated to different types of tea. And so there was just one of the many conversations that we were kind of having, which sort of led us to actually calling ourselves matcha and masala for the purposes of this new podcast endeavor. We don't really know what it's going to be. It might be a podcast. It might just be the Instagram lives. It might be a YouTube channel, but whatever it is, we're going to be working together more frequently um, on having sort of broad conversations about things through our specific lenses together it's such a collaborative experience so far we actually designed the logo together where i submitted some sketches and she submitted some sketches and we combined our sketches together to craft what is now our currently matcha and masala logo which i think is dope it's one of the most collaborative things i've ever done and i really appreciate that i love collaborative projects that's why i worked in the film industry for so long but you, you end up losing yourself when you don't have really good collaborative partners and I think Rhea and I are going to be good collaborative partners and we're having fun. So what I'm asking for is for you to go check out the playback of the live that we did on Friday. It is pinned to both the Militantly Mixed Instagram page and the Mixed Race Mama page. Uh, engage with that post as well. Let us know what you would like us to talk about on our next endeavor. Uh, because we will be taking suggestions from the audience, um, and we're going to take this serious. If it requires some research, we'll research. If it requires just some gabbing, we're going to do that too. Neither of us have problem talking at length on anything. Um, but we want to use this as an opportunity to uh, so sort of maybe combine both of our audiences, the Mixed Race Mama audience and the Militantly Mixed audience, and sort of expand in a more conversational way um, different things that affect us as mixed people possibly. Uh, but again, we have a lot of other things in common that we would be willing to talk about as well. And one of the frequent kind of jokes that keeps coming up is the fact that we're both murder podcast aficionados and um, we have a fantasy that we were going to pair up and solve murders across the English countryside. So maybe that'll happen one day. Maybe that remains in fantasy. But either way, uh, I think our energy is fun together. I would love y'all to check out. Let us know how you feel and uh, what things you would like us to talk about in the future. Again, those are pinned to both of our Instagram pages, Militantly Mixed and Mixed Race Mama. And I think that's it. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Militantly Mixed family, Nina. Today, I am joined by Nina. Nina, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and let's get into it. Hi, everyone. So my name is Nina. Uh, I come from uh, Slovakia and uh, I have a rather unusual for some maybe a background. Uh, so um, my mother is Slovak and my father is Guinean. Uh, so um, over the course of my life, I've lived in different countries, uh, including UK and uh, most recently Netherlands. And uh, yeah, 
I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> I, I'm excited to finally get a chance to meet you. Uh, you have been a supporter of the show for quite a while. You engage on the Instagrams and the chitty chats, <laughs> the chitty chats. Yeah, and, I'm there. Uh, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> and you've sponsored the show a few times. So it's nice to finally get a face alongside the person that I've seen post so many times. And I want to say it was probably about a year or so ago, you, you shared with me the, because everybody knows I like the hybrid terms, like I'm Black and Ease, or, you know, some people mm -hmm. use Blasian, I use Blasian also. You hit me with the term Afropean, which I had not mm -hmm. heard before. And I want to kind of get into that if you don't mind. All right. So, uh, well, I actually came across the word uh, and uh, I found it uh, online. I found a website which uh, is still exists uh, and uh, it is dedicated to people with this identity, people who are African and European. And it resonated with me because uh, as somebody uh, who was born in a country where, you know, a black or mixed black uh, representation is minimal, uh, mm -hmm. And uh, um, it's continued, it's still like that to this day. You know, I just felt that like using label, like the official, you know, uh, label Slovak was not something that described me uh, because, mm -hmm. you know, when you look uh, at Slovak culture, the way that, uh, you know, Slo uh, Slovak culture is represented, you don't see people who look like me. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and also, you know, in my country, I was described as black, but, you know, at back of my mind, you know, if you grew up with that, at first you accept it. But then mm -hmm. when you uh, get older, uh, you start thinking about, you know, I'm black. Like, how can I be black with a white mother? So that doesn't right. add up, right? So, yeah. and <laughs> basically, if you want to build an identity, which I felt that I needed to do, you want to build it on something solid. So what is solid? Mm -hmm. Facts. So mm -hmm. I come from Europe, that's a fact, but I do have African parentage, that's also a fact. And mm -hmm. uh, so um, the term Afropean was more, you know, more concrete for me. It was more, mm -hmm. like, like, you know, uh, um, representative of who I am, because right. I am European, and I do have, like, when you look at me, <laughs> you clearly see that I do have, uh, you know, African background, so African it was. Nice. When you found it, did you feel like you had, like, it, it just, like, clicked into place r right away? Had you been searching for a way to describe yourself before that? Uh, it actually clicked into place, yeah, because... Uh, um, I basically always had this question at the back of my mind about my identity. And uh, this was like uh, the term that was precisely what I felt that I am. Because, you know, uh, when uh, I look at myself in very in different settings, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I used to live in the UK. And uh, in, in the UK, you have like a large black diaspora. Uh, mm -hmm. But I noticed certain uh, aspects, uh, which you know about me uh, that, uh, and uh, my experiences were different from theirs. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, clearly, like, and and having a term, number umbrella term, helps you to sort of rationalize why is there why, why there is a difference. Uh, mm -hmm. Because what I notice is that if you do not have like the creative about your identity, then it's uh, you know, it's difficult to actually like make sense of many 
things or like uh, you can also get dragged into the, the debates uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and into other people's problems, <laughs> you right, know, yeah. like, uh, and also, also that happens with American culture because uh, um, uh, American culture uh, is often uh, like embraced by African people uh, mm-hmm. because we do not have that kind of culture as many of us are not surrounded by any kind of like a diverse or black culture so then uh, sometimes we almost even adopt your problems (laughs) no i get it yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that makes sense because in europe and i guess i can speak more from the uk perspective since part of my heritage is is from there is in in the united states the descendants of african enslavement became a different category like we're a different category than the rest of the diaspora because after 400 years on this continent, there wasn't a home to go back to, you know, after the Mm -hmm. end of enslavement or anything like that, there really wasn't a place you could go back to and, and, and just fall right back in. Right. The, The way they stripped us of our language and our dance and our food and our culture and stuff like that, we became our own entity here. And in other parts, in, in like the UK, when when they abolished slavery, the way people integrated in society was a little bit different than how it happened here. Like we had very strict rules that continued to, in, in the United States, that continued to keep people in sort of an enslavement position on the hierarchy, but but still have the like the belief that you're a part of society where I don't think that really happened in other parts of the world where African enslavement took place. And then in the UK, you also have huge pockets of people from the Caribbean, huge pockets of people from the African continent going there as well. And then they maintain who they were. So they still get to be Jamaican if they live in London. They still get to be Guyana or something like that when they go there. And in here in the US, I mean, you become Black. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to, t- you can tell me you're Jamaican, but I'm not going to view you as a different thing than black people. Like that's how it is here. And, or I keep saying here, mm-hmm. I'm still not used to living in a different country. <laughs> it's, you know, like, like that's how it is in the, United- <laughs> in the United States. Like you just become black. So even if you, uh, what I find from people that I've spoken to um, from different African countries, when they come to the U.S., they're yelling, like, I'm not black though. You know, I'm uh, Ghanan, I'm from Cameroon, I'm, you know, like they'll say where they, they're they from, but because we don't know where we're from, yeah, what their heritage is, but because we mm-hmm. don't know where we're from, we're just Black. And I feel like Europe, I mean, I don't know the extended aspects of, of what it is to be um, either just a member of the African diaspora or descendant of enslaved people in different European countries. I, I, you know, I don't really have a view for that. So I'm not really sure, like, what is it that European, white Europeans are seeing when they see black Europeans? (laughs) You know, what are they viewing? Because in the United States, it's very clear what they're viewing. They're viewing a descendant of enslavement and kind of wishing they were still enslaved. You know, that's pretty much a lot of what what happens in this country yeah and just to address like your last point about what the europeans are seeing uh, well white europeans when they see us Mm. well uh, i think many of us don't see europeans (laughs) many of us are still shocked when we talk to them in their language and sometimes what happens is this uh, microaggression uh, that several Mm. of my um, friends experienced who also have a afro-european background is that uh somebody 
you know, uh, addresses them in English, uh, because I think that they're maybe, you know, foreigner. Okay. Uh, I see. Uh, so they, re- but they respond in their mother tongue. For example, it mm-hmm. might be uh, German, it might be, I don't know, Swiss, but they get a response in English. And this is the way of othering. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that happens in Europe, and you know, there's also like a little history uh, that uh, basically is taught about the interaction of uh, people from Africa and uh, uh, European people. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of history. I actually recently came across a book uh, which uh, maps it. It's called African Europeans. I don't have it at hand, but I can send you a link. And uh, it's really interesting. It's uh, basically mapping the history uh, starting from uh, um, basically like ancient times. So, mm. uh, and then, then it shows you how people used to, you know, uh, fit in and what they used to do. So uh, basically one of the things that stuck in my memory was that a lot of people see African-Europeans as travelers. Mm. Uh, you know, it's kind of like citizens of nowhere kind of thing. I see. Uh, and a lot of African Europeans, uh, like, basically had to you had to carve the space for themselves in the societies right. which were hostile. And well, were they still are hostile? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we but saw what happened in the Ukraine recently. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about Ukraine, I came across some stories of like mixed race Ukrainian people mm. and basically what happens in ukraine for example is that uh, there are many ukrainian mixed people mixed black people who are in orf- orphanages but uh they are not orphanages sponsored by the states because state is not mm. interested who, who sponsors them are uh, people from abroad so they survive oh, really? thanks to patrons from abroad yes because the state is not interested and they're uh, for them it's like you know second class citizens basically right. They don't right. treat them as real Ukrainians. Yeah, yeah. That's all. That's always, I think, the fear in the the hierarchy that white supremacy gives <laughs> to people mm-hmm. of color in different places. And it's interesting that the default is English. That they not only English. Sometimes this happens with French. Uh, as okay. Well. So because basically... there's French colonized African countries and stuff like that too, mm, right? So... No, because. It's basically uh, the dead language, which local people deem to be the language of foreigners. So, for example, if you are in Austria, they will address foreigners in English. If you are somewhere like Luxembourg, they will address mm-hmm. foreigners in French. Uh, because okay. uh, they have a main language like Luxembourgish. Uh, but then mm-hmm. there's also like a French diaspora, but it's not like the mother tongue, right? I see. So it's this kind of very... <laughs> cunning microaggression that people right. have here uh yeah it also happened to me that uh, a person was just like so shocked that i talked to them in slovak that they just kept talking in english and i just wasn't bothered to correct them uh <laughs> but yeah but sometimes people do this on purpose and then they do this to alienate people right so you continue no matter what you're speaking in slavic even if they respond back to you in english I mean, uh, well, I've not, uh, I've not had this kind of interaction for a while because uh, I actually, uh, I left Slovakia uh, as a, a young person. I left after high school and uh, I lived in different places ever since. So I kind of cut myself off from that. But I know it exists mm. because mm. Uh, whilst I lived in Slovakia, I also was in this position and I, and I know 
from the experiences of other uh, people who have similar background like me uh, and mm. are either from Slovakia or Czech Republic that this is this is still going on and it's now mm. I think now kind of like a bit more intense because these countries are also changing you know they're becoming quite ethnocentric closed off mm-hmm. so yeah we're seeing we're seeing that start to happen again in Eastern European and what little news we get over here because you know mm-hmm. the United States isn't super concerned about the world news unless it's a <laughs> highlight so but in the highlight we're starting we are starting to see that um, over here as well and of course that happens in Asia as well like mm-hmm. Japanese in particular which is what my mix includes if you're a mixed Japanese and you speak Japanese they'll still speak to you in English. <laughs> Or some, or they'll oh do something God. like that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they'll just assume you're not, you're not, you're not really Japanese or something. Do they praise you? No. So in my case, they wouldn't. If they knew that I was black, that would not be on the roster. Mm-hmm. Even though there's starting to be a lot more famous black Japanese people, Naomi Osaka, the um, the tennis mm-hmm. player, Ryu Hachimura oh, wow. is a basketball player, stuff like that. Like, um, they get criticized and and loved at the same time. But like a regular mm-hmm. old black Japanese like me. No, mostly I get told that I'm not Japanese or uh, ask, like, why do I think I'm Japanese? And if I explain my grandmother is Japanese and, you know, that's still like, yeah, but she lives Mm -hmm. in America, so she's not a Japanese either. So they think about it very Mm -hmm. nationalistically. But race comes into play when you become mixed or when you are black or when. um, Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of African immigrants in Japan as well who end up having children and those children's first language is Japanese and they view themselves through the lens of a Japanese person, but because they're black, they're not real, you know, quote, real Japanese. Uh, So it's still, it's still a big problem in Japan as well. A lot of what you're saying, it just reminds me of stuff I've heard in my own Japanese Mm -hmm. side of the family. It's different with my British side of the family because two or three, two or three of my grandmother's uh, two of her sisters, so her included would make the third, married and or had children with black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like my British side remains very white British, very white supremacist, and yet mm-hmm. has these half black kids. Um, oh, yeah. And, and it's just a thing, you know. <laughs> I, I recognize that dynamic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, uh, I noticed this in uh, local circles uh, and then you mm-hmm. see these like couples that didn't work things out let's put it that way and right right uh they think that it's you know they do have, have a black spouse they do have mixed kids and uh, so it doesn't matter that they uh you know kind of nod to all the white supremacist beliefs right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's still there but it's you know somehow softer yeah. racism i have no idea why they view it that way Mm-hmm. Um, but that's interesting. Where so as you've moved around from different countries as an as an adult, have you been able to find community in a way that feels comfortable for you? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that happened uh, when I came to London. Uh, I lived in London uh, for almost eight years, and mm-hmm. uh, the main reason why I came there was that uh, basically I wanted to to experience life in a diverse environment, and I wanted to mm-hmm. meet people who are like me, uh, who also have a family from two different backgrounds, one of which is mm-hmm. African. And, um, you know, I also wanted to see like how uh, people who are black and from Europe live, because at the time I just, I had a very weird mindset at the time. So, you know, I, I was somebody who was always referred to as a black girl because fair enough, like my phenotype is such that you could easily uh, sure. think that I'm, you know, hundred percent black. Uh, so uh, I came there 
just to see, you know, how people uh, are uh, like me really operate because uh, when you grow up in uh, uh, Central Europe, uh, Slovakia, Czech Republic and the like, you don't get many uh, information and definitely not many positive information. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, places like Lon- London are viewed as scary because, you know, look at the streets and that's how they put it, right? Look oh, at the streets. Because of the uh, diversity. And, yeah. Uh, mm. So, uh, you know, and then uh, and they make all kinds of like, uh, they just love negative news. They love to con- uh, f- f- concentrate mainly on negative news. Uh, mm. uh, and you know, but they're also curious. That's the thing with with Central Europe, right? And Eastern mm-hmm. Europe, like they have this curiosity about black culture, but they on uh, are just curious that they don't want to go deeper. You know, sure. And that's yeah. Uh, so uh, when you are in that environment all your life, you, I mean, unfortunately, you also it's going to get into your system. Uh, mm. And uh, that's what happened to me. And like, uh, I left to London with the aim to get it out uh, because I didn't want to have this kind of uh, uh, this kind of attitude. Mm. So, and it helped. And in London, um, you know, because like even even before that, like uh, I came uh, I came there. I used to live in Scotland as well. Uh, I studied there at the university, mm-hmm. and uh, I had these kind of like embarrassing wake-up calls such as you know I studied at a university which was also pretty international mm-hmm. and there were some people from Africa and they thought I was from Africa because uh, of how mm-hmm. I look so 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 they were really friendly uh, and they wanted to approach me they started to talk to me and I just felt like this immense fear uh, like you know like when when you feel when you have like mm-hmm. this gut feeling you have this kind of like panic and I just thought mm-hmm. you know this is so embarrassing but uh, where does this come from? I behave exactly like the people I can't stand because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back home who, who treat me that way. And now I'm right. that person. I'm that person who is looking at the black individual with fear in her eyes who doesn't want to shake their hands, who doesn't mm. want to talk to them. But it was just like, it was like instincts, you know? And yeah. I was just like, goodness me, what, this is horrible. I don't want to be like this. And this is right. what prompted me to sort of do this work. Like, like I don't want to be like this. This is not okay. You know, this is how I right. would not like to be treated. And, and about my subconscious just pushes me to do this to other people because of all the negativity. This- and now uh, there is a term for it, anti-blackness. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was fed anti-blackness like for 18 mm-hmm. years straight from all sides. Yeah. And even if you don't want to do harm with this kind of conditioning, it's just you. This yeah. is just how you're gonna react, and you don't even, you don't mean anything wrong. Like, but you're just taught to be afraid of these people. Mm-hmm. But these people are at the same time kind of like a part of who you are. So it's mm-hmm. a very difficult position. So and I now realize, looking back, that I went to London uh, with the aim to kind of like also find myself and to get rid of mm-hmm. all this like toxicity that I that I had in my mind yeah I I always say like white supremacy is so insidious that it convinces us to do the work of white supremacy for it right you know we Mm -hmm. internalize what what is happening to us and end up pushing it out whether you mean to or not it just happens it's your conditioning is so strong and you end up finding those moments like there's always like a one particular like trigger moment where it happens you're like wait why was that my natural influence like that wasn't me Uh, for me it was a moment of saying my grandmother's racism towards 
Koreans because she was Japanese mm -hmm. and Japanese and Korea have a very terrible history in which Japan oh, okay. was the bad guy in that history. But my grandmother would constantly, you know, not constantly, but anytime there was a reason for Koreans to come up, she'd end up saying something bad. And I guess it got in there. I ended up having a crush on a mixed Korean person. And my grandma was like, no, 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 not that. And then one time I went a conversation with a whole group of random people. And I remember saying the words, but they're Korean. So you understand why. And then while I was about to say the really bad thing, I was like, whoa, that's mm -hmm. not mine. You know, <laughs> that's not my wow. racism. That was that came, that was given to me. And I just remember I just realized in the moment. I didn't mean what was about to come out of my mouth, but mm -hmm. it was going to, it was just going to be really natural. It was just going to slide right out if I didn't have a check for it. And it made me wonder how many times have I done this without checking myself? Like yeah. how many times did I say something like that? You know, and I had Korean friends or mixed Korean friends. I had crushes on the, you know, the mixed Korean kid. And, and I was like, wow, I mean, had I ever done that and not realized it, but today, for whatever reason, today was the day I realized it. And so at that point, it, it was a lot of work to not a lot, but it was work to remind myself, like, somebody else's prejudice is not your prejudice. <laughs> so when you feel it happen, yeah. you need to stop. And I would feel it happen, I would start to notice it. I never went to Korean restaurants, you know, like, I intend to intentionally didn't like, if someone said, oh, I want to go to Korean food, I'll be like, oh, I'll go get something else. Okay. Like, I remember doing this and thinking, like, why do I think this? And it, it came it came from her. And once I started to undo that, you know, I started to realize, like, I literally have no reason to feel this way. But I was taught this. And I don't want to do this to other Asians, you know, as a mixed person. I don't want to do this to other groups, especially if my group was the oppressor. You know, Japanese in this, in this instance, when this relationship was the oppressor. So... Yeah, I had a lot. I had some internal work to do to end that kind of stuff. And I think there's also some of that across all the things, <laughs> like all the different things that I'm mixed with. So as you started mm -hmm. to be around more either African Europeans or African immigrants into Europe, when did you feel it start to release? Like how much was happening to you to release that internalized anti-Blackness that you were fed as a child, I guess? So it was yeah, uh, so it was uh, like a conscious effort. So basically, uh, I started with like attending uh, events and uh, seeking resources because I wanted to learn, you know, uh, mm. and I thought where is would be a better place to learn about Black Europe than in a place like London, which is kind of like a center of mm. Black Europe with most uh, uh, Black people and mixed people. Uh, so. And uh, yeah, I was right. Uh, I was lucky to come across a lot of very interesting events, uh, which were organized by Black Diaspora. And uh, then uh, I came across a lot of materials, be it in pop culture, like books, films, etc. But then uh, I had this epiphany <laughs> and I thought, hmm, well, maybe I could find out something about mixed people. And uh, um, there is this uh, page called meetup.com. I don't know whether mm -hmm. you've heard of it. Yeah, we have so, it here too. Uh, so I've just typed mixed race into that page and just to see. I didn't even think that something would come up, even mm. though, and this is funny, even though that in the UK you have the large, uh, the fastest growing diaspora mm. of mixed people in Europe. But, but still, you know, uh, I, I was still in doubt. But uh, there was this one group 
which was called Mixed Race Matters. And uh, mm -hmm. it was like a, a social group. They organized uh, gatherings for mixed race people. So uh, there was an event. So I was just like, all right, uh, I'm going to go for it. And I did it because this was something I uh, actually engaged in uh, back in Slovakia because I used to live in the capital of Slovakia for a number of years uh, and I mm -hmm. worked there. And uh, I also found a meetup group for foreigners. And uh, I really liked it because, you know, um, it had people from all over the world and you know so I no longer had to deal with some of the local attitudes because you know these people were used to interacting with people like me so mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's why I thought oh yeah these meetups they, this works <laughs> I will go mm -hmm. to another one here in London and I was new to London as well so I wanted to find some friends sure so that was my the beginning and this is how I met the local uh, mixed race diaspora most of them were uh, black and white mix but i also mm -hmm. met a couple of people who had uh, black and indian uh, sorry white and indian mix for mm -hmm. example there's this term anglo-indian for that can uh, some of them use mm -hmm. so that's what i like that's how i started to you know have uh, finding some material and some stories to compare with mine and mm -hmm. it was just you know these social events these meetups that I attended and then later on started organizing myself uh, which I do to this day that helped me to like, explore my identity and get a mm -hmm. lot of a lot of affirming moments which I find is, uh, it's very important for a mixed race person mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. kind of gain a lot of information because we used to have a whatsapp group as well and uh, people would share a lot of resources and it, we, we do this all the time like anytime we meet up uh, now we use instagram and we always just like share what we've read or uh something that it, a film that we've seen and stuff like that so it's like you know we're, uh, it's very relaxed way of learning and self-exploring uh yeah. and yeah i've been doing that for well since 2013 14 so it's been a minute <laughs> oh, good. can yeah. do you remember some of the early affirming things that happened while hanging out in those groups Oh, wow, there are many. Uh, well, yes, uh, so uh, many people that I've met had similar uh, experience like me. So uh, uh, one of the things that we discussed was like the sense of belonging and like the kind of uh, attempts to find your way to belong. Uh, uh, then also um, uh, the microaggression, like the uh, like the ne the negative stuff that we used to consider normal, and then you know these kind of embarrassing moments uh, mm. uh, that we've had. Uh, so it was, and then also. Uh, Do you mean like acknowledging a... the microaggressions and then realizing that they were negatives? Is is, is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. Okay. Like internalized racism, basically, that we, sure, yeah, that we okay. dealt with. And then uh, uh, also some, you know, challenges that, uh, say, happen at workplace. You know, I think that, you know, when you're trying to, like, do something and show initiative, you might be considered aggressive uh, by some mm -hmm. people. And then also also funny stuff. It wasn't always like heavy. So uh, um, me and my friend discussed uh, how our white moms were trying to, you know, uh, conquer black Afro hair <laughs> and find <laughs> and find the right method to like kind of make it stay in place. And uh, right. yeah, it was just like really funny. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, and what I also noticed is that there are certain patterns also like um, for example 
mixed race families the, the patterns of like not talking about race uh, mm, yeah and, and, and not seeing race which was what shocked me because I thought you know like and and also like this idea of other people have that we uh, are the bridge you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. between cultures yeah, we're gonna solve but, racism like, Absolutely, but the, if there is one environment where race is a taboo and racism is a taboo, is a mixed race family. <laughs> no, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, no. how do you step outside and of also, your race and then never talk about it again? <laughs> absolutely, uh, and yeah, and like uh, the fact, the things, the number of things which do not make any sense. That's also a part of mixed experience, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, so as I men- mentioned to you when we first talk the mixed quandary uh, like that's also Mm. uh like very common pattern across different countries across different continents i mean i was lucky to come across a girl who used to organize these zoom calls where she would invite it was like a talk show uh, almost so she would invite like five six people uh as guests and then the rest of us were audience so we heard stories from across the world from europe america australia uh, even Africa, there was a girl from Africa who had a Chinese uh, parent as well. And when she started talking, I was just like, oh, yeah, 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 I can, I get you. <laughs> and she's, mm, you know, yeah. another continent. But it's just so common. Yeah. So that was really uh, nice because it was this realization that it's not me who has, you know, some uh, kind of a problem, identity problem, or that I am confused, but it's right. that I'm the rather the reason for a confusion for somebody else. <laughs> but that's not I mean, it still feels like it fault. puts the burden on you, though. Like, at the end of the day, of course, we it does. mixed people spend our whole life thinking we're the confusion, we're the problem, we're the different one. And if you're the main character in your story, how are we convinced that we're the different one? Like, you on the outside of me need to be the different one not me be the different one you know but we all get Mm -hmm. raised with this idea of like we have to make them more comfortable about their confusion about us and yikes no I don't want to do that anymore (laughs) I've spent so much of my life yeah yeah, absolutely and then you know like also boundaries that's a big topic that often came up uh, that we discussed uh, because a lot of us uh, you know are raised to be people pleasers and mm-hmm. uh, particularly oh, if you are a small, you know, tiny little minority and surrounded by rather conservative culture that just like has a lot mm. of expectations, not to them, not on themselves, but mainly on you. And, uh, you know, you can feel that the expectations, the standards are raised differently, you know. So sometimes people can take like uh, advantage of that and say things at liberty. And you don't know how to respond, so you just freeze, and then like you wake late at night and you're angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how could I let that happen? Like, or or then like at like eleven p.m. you finally get the right answer to your mind, but the person is already out of reach. <laughs> so right, and there's just no <laughs> there's no happened. return for that. There's not even like if you see that person again, you're like, oh, and something I didn't say. Like you never get yeah. a satisfactory recovery from those moments. Yeah, yeah when the script finally updates in your head late mm-hmm. at night. It's the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's, and worst. It particu- it's particularly difficult. And I would say it's so painful if it's somebody who's your friend. Mm-hmm. So I know mm-hmm. about someone, uh, a girl from Czech Republic, who described this situation with her 
former friend now. So basically, this was somebody that she actually worked for, and they like hit it off. They became friends, but and she noticed that he liked to make you know this kind of rough and uh, uh, inappropriate jokes and. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, he himself had, had an extra weight, so he would make fun of himself too. And he would also make fun of her, but uh, he started to cross the boundaries seriously. Mm. Like, and uh, like the, uh, the incident that ended their friendship was a situation when uh, basically he uh, once said uh, at their workplace, okay, I'm just going to pop out. I'm going to buy some flowers for my girlfriend because it's her birthday today. She was like, all right. So he came back, came with uh, two uh, like bunches of flowers and one was uh, he showed one for the girlfriend and then he was like uh, okay uh, and I also have something for you and she was like oh really and he showed her another bunch of flowers and they were cotton and she's like half black so you know wow so when she said this to her boyfriend who is white at home he was like furious and uh, uh, she before she started to she tried to uh, you know defend the guy because he uh, she thought uh, he was her friend but this yeah. was just such a, a terrible gesture you know totally demeaning her and making fun mm-hmm. of like terrible painful history that mm-hmm. she uh, had enough at this point she left that company and she's not friends with him again mm-hmm. uh, like uh, well uh, after that and i completely understand it and uh, it's things like that uh, yeah. that are the worst and that this happens yeah. a lot in this part of the world because, you know, here in uh, Central and Eastern Europe, they really like this. Uh, I call them American excuses. For, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. for example, political correctness gone mad. Like everybody wants to be politically incorrect all of a sudden, even yeah. though they don't really even know what it means. But they just know that this is how they will get away with some serious shit. So they just start yeah, to yeah. use it ad nauseum. And uh, Previously, uh, you know, it was different. The culture changed. Uh, previously, people had a bit more restraints. Uh, and and uh, that was, uh, ironically, also the work of the former Soviet regime because racism was a no-no during the Soviet regime. They wanted to like do better than the U.S. Mm. Uh, there mm. was a time in like in 1930s, for example, Russia was a much better place to be for an African-American than the U.S. In the US, uh, in Russia, they could do a career, like a scientist, mm-hmm. for example. And a lot of them went there. But the Russia of today, well, it's a very different place. And uh, similarly with the rest of the Central and Eastern Europe, you know. So, yeah, it's this, yeah. this kind of uh, toxic behaviors. And you have to learn to build these boundaries to and unfortunately sometimes to like cut off the wrong people because we all deserve to be treated with distancing so right yeah i feel like people especially i mean i think you make a really good point saying mixed people are raised to be people pleasers um that is probably like absolutely true across most mixed families um because you are taught to kind of make other people more comfortable with Mm -hmm. you being you know, I'm doing quotes again, you being the different one in this idea that like, no matter what, if someone thinks you're this, just, just say yes and move on and make it come. Don't be, you know, don't confront yeah. them on it, whatever. Don't make them That's feel like they're deal. being racist. Yeah. And it's like, well, why do I always have to be the one that absorbs mm-hmm. all of the pain? Why do I have to take it just to make them uncomfortable, you know, just make them more comfortable and they never learn and they continue to make me and other people like me uncomfortable why am I the one that carries that burden? And boundaries, 
we're not taught to put them up as much as we should. And I do think that, you know, you do have to cut people sometimes, um, you know, to for your own peace, for your own preservation. You need to make sure that people are comfortable or you need to make sure that you are comfortable with the people, <laughs> you know, and That's if that okay. means that you have to let them go, you have to let them go. In my case, the people I've had to let go are predominantly relatives, you know, predominantly mm -hmm. family, because it didn't matter that we were as mixed as we were, you know, the racism showed the racism still showed. And you gotta, you, you gotta be able to preserve yourself, I think as much as, as much as you can. And I think this new generation of mixed folks, you know, people who have had examples of public facing mixed people for longer than like I did, I didn't have very many public facing mixed people growing up. I, the only ones I can really think of are Mariah Carey mm -hmm. and Halle Berry. Mm -hmm. for the like the longest time and uh and you know in the united states now there's a whole generation of people who grew up where their first president was a mixed race person as we're able to have conversations more about mixedness in public i think we have probably a little bit more confidence a little bit more examples of being affirmed or at least the younger generation maybe not my generation but the younger generation probably mm -hmm. has a lot more of opportunities to be affirmed than my say my generation did but they still they're still living in families that probably don't like to talk about race too much who are probably going to try to give them those tools i think some of them are talking out more now than we probably did in my generation so where are you now in your mixedness you you've you've had to move around again or you wanted to move around again I'm not sure which one what's the next stage in you as an Afropean existing so now I'd say I'm in a pretty comfortable place because uh thanks to having these conversations you know casually uh like it definitely helped me heal uh, like, uh you know and uh, become at peace so now I am trying to do things to you know uh, support other people uh, I only recently, well, a couple of years back, I started realizing uh, just how many people are struggling. And uh, uh, I found out uh, um, after a long, a long time of knowing some people that uh, they actually, uh, uh, you know, came to my meetup because they, they uh, uh, alongside having therapy on the side. And I was just like mm -hmm. shocked, you know, uh, that <laughs> this was good. happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, but but I was shocked that they, they were so low because some of them mentioned uh, they had some psychological problems, uh, and uh, uh, you know I, I I was like really shocked and saddened by it as well. Uh, then, um, so I now am in a position to maybe like give people some feedback and use my experience uh, in like this I would say self um, like work on yourself uh, mm. and like self growth to. Uh, encourage people also to uh, maybe give them some advice and, and uh, also to uh, and, and what, my, what my biggest aim is to like build uh, a community even though even a small one so uh, mm -hmm. what I do is affinity groups this is like my favorite uh, I'm not a fan of like big meetups uh, um, mm -hmm. because simply because uh, they tend to be quite uh, I mean quite draining sometimes uh, because you meet a lot of people who are in the beginning of their journey uh, who come there because their psychologist told them, you know, and uh, 
this was a bit like shocking to see that. Uh, so you have to be in the right mood to to be there. I think that as mixed mm -hmm. people who kind of are who are healed and who are a bit further in the journey, like we should also mm -hmm. you know invest time and energy into that place as well because yes. we need to be there. Uh, such a good point. Yeah. Uh, but you know you, on the other hand self-care is important and you also need to balance it out with something else and for me mm -hmm. something else is my own little affinity group where i have like 11 people and uh, i know them all personally i've met them before and i kind of like collected my old friends from london and other places mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes somebody new joins in so we have this like uh uh, fun and serious conversations and yeah that's what i like to kind of like take with me because it's an online mm -hmm. group so i can take it with me <laughs> in, in my pocket yeah. <laughs> wherever yeah. i go and also i have this like uh, now i have like this library of resources as i have my books which are either written by mixed people or include some references to mixed identity and it really helps as well because i can share this information mm -hmm. uh, in different different ways and recommend these things to other people as well so yeah now i would say that yeah now i really feel like a mixed person i know who i am i know what it means to be mixed race to be african so you know i don't uh, i kind of have this kind of protective layer uh when i get gets uh, out and i interact with people who are not mixed and i come across like uh, some of the you know uh, people who are a little bit toxic it doesn't get to me as uh, you know a pre uh, and i i can imagine that a couple of years back when i didn't have all this resolved like it would stay in my head for a long time it's uh, such a conversation but now i know how to respond because we also if you're on instagram mm -hmm. and sometimes you're in mixed yeah. on mixed pages there are strategies <laughs> so uh, how to respond to different kind of toxic comments uh, and it's like so it's like a little thing but yeah. i've had many strategies <laughs> so uh, and I, and if i need some help i know where to go to find like some kind of uh, hints they're helpful and yeah 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 it's like a mm -hmm. you know this kind of uh, life hacks <laughs> they really are uh, so yeah i i now feel uh like really good about myself uh yeah and but one one thing which which i kind of like i have this kind of nostalgic moments because you think like oh i wish That's i wish good. i was in this place when i was like 15 uh, but i got there when i was 27 but then again there are people who get there when they're in their 50s so you just have to take it as it is mm -hmm. the people as young as 16 to as high as i think 68 might have been the oldest person that has been on the show um mm. and all of us came to it at different times and even in the case of some of my older guests, sometimes they were dealing with it after their 40s, after their 50s, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, it happens. or if someone knew you were any black, you were black, no matter what you look like, <laughs> you know, and I don't know if there was mm. the equivalent of that in other other ethnic groups, but definitely um, in black ethnic groups, that was a thing. So yeah, you can come to it whenever you come to it. And I agree with Tintley Black when I was a teenager. And as I got older, the mixed confusion came because other people were confused by me and I took in that confusion. And if I had known then that their confusion is their problem, not mine, it would have been a lot easier to get through those younger parts of my life. And now at 45, you can't tell me shit. You know, like, you, know you can throw your racism thing at me. You can say all Asians, you can say this, you can say that. And I'll just like, mm-hmm, 
Mm-hmm. You know, so like, you just sure, let me know what is what is no. your problem. But yeah, I like you too. There's times when I'm like, man, that time when I was at the Knott's Berry Farm and that white man said something about Japanese people, I wish I had said, you know, like there's certain key moments in my life that, you know, I remember even now, but I wasn't in a place, I didn't have enough education on how to be mixed in the world, you know. Um, despite having two biracial parents, we didn't talk about race very often either. Well, we talked about racism, but we didn't talk about mixed raceness. We, that that was never something that really came up in the, in the family, which was interesting, given that both sides of my family were mixed. <laughs> a little bit of a fail there. Uh, before we get out of here, though, I'd like to ask everybody what they love most about being mixed. So now it's your turn. What do you love most about being a mixed person? Uh, what I like the most? Wow. Um, hmm. it's, uh, I should have prepared for this question, but I didn't. <laughs> so I, I like to not prepare people for it because, you know, whatever comes out is what is the thing. Okay. So what I love the most uh, about being mixed is that it taught me to be open uh, and it taught me to be curious about people without fear. And I think... Yeah, that's that's important mm. to move through the world, uh, uh, the openness, and uh, it's important to grow as a person, not just as a mixed person, but as an individual in general. Uh, you know, willingness to uh, explore other uh, story, other people's stories, uh, other points of view. So, uh, yeah, and, and uh, uh, I just think that's that's the gift of this identity. Uh, you know, that teaches you that uh, somebody who is different is not, any, uh, you know, the evil one <laughs> or like the flawed one, but it's just, a, it's just a different person. And, you know, uh, they mm-hmm, mm-hmm. have certain things that you have in common. They have certain things that you do not share. And that's okay. That's perfectly normal. Uh, because I feel that nowadays we live in the era where everything which is different is automatically labeled as a flaw of some sort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show with me. It's so nice to finally meet you after a couple years of support. I really appreciate you being uh, a member of the Militantly Mixed family. Militantly Mixed is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.